Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I just turned around and I pulled ass out of there. I was, I was done. I wasn't dealing with that. The hypocrisy of the cult is one of the things that turned me away the quickest. When I turned my headlights on, it turned and looked at us. And one of the things I remember the most were the eyes were glowing red. I see an orb of light. It is just circling these steps like it is waiting for me. And he begins to tell them uh, that he saw a UFO. They're basically like, what are you talking about? That's seven foot up on a tree, peeking around it. And that's where I saw the top of the muzzle, nose, and the eyes. As soon as I made eye contact with this thing, it felt like death. Welcome back to Tinfoil Tales. I'm your host, Brandon Wright. Tonight, we're going to be joined by my guest, Andrew Michaels. Andrew is a comedian, one of the hosts of Underworld News Tonight. Andrew's going to come on and talk a little bit about the Phantom Time conspiracy theory that he's looked into. So I've been looking forward to that. With him being a comedian, it's going to be a little different type of podcast. Dive down into some other conspiracies and some other talk, too. So probably won't be one for the faint of heart. But before we bring Andrew on, we got some front-end business to take care of. If you've ever had an experience and you want to be on Tinfoil Tells, you can send an email to tinfoiltellspodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get you scheduled on a future episode. If you want to help the podcast, please leave a five-star review. That helps with the rankings. That also helps with making the podcast more discoverable to potentially new listeners. And with new listeners, there could be more experiencers, which could lead to more interviews, so new episodes. If you'd like to help the podcast financially, there is a donate button. There's also a Patreon. The Patreon gives you access to ad-free content, as well as access to early episodes several weeks before they're released to the public. It's only $1.99 a month, so less than $2 a month. You get all that content. You can also help the podcast by just sharing it around word of mouth and the grassroots is what this podcast been built on. So you can keep that up. It seems to be doing just fine. So I appreciate all of that. Make sure to follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, X. I've recently finished up the website so you can find it on tinfoiltells.com. All the episodes will be on there for your listening pleasure, as well as the videos for the YouTube. But I think now we're going to go ahead and bring Andrew on. I hope you guys enjoy what we're going to talk about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'd like to take this time to welcome my guest tonight, Andrew. Andrew, thanks for coming out and talking to me. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Yes, I am Andrew Michaels. I am the uh, host of Underworld News Tonight, one of the hosts of Underworld News Tonight. 
We do a bit of a weird and wacky and uh, wild look at the news of the week, looking at a bit of the supernatural, a bit of the conspiracy theory stuff. So if you're a fan of Morning Zoo Radio, that sort of a thing, and want to kind of capture the spirit of it, we would highly recommend you check that out. But you know what? I'm not here to talk about my own show today, Brandon. What do you got for us? Well, Brandon, uh, I guess before I start with a statement, I'm going to start with a question. Uh, What year is it? The last I'm aware of was 2023, but I'm probably wrong. Oh, you, you say bad? You said bad because it's like a podcast for uh, sheep, a real impressive uh, farm achievement, maybe? <laughs> Not sure where you're going with this. Well, let's find out because you, my friend, have revealed yourself as an Autotian puppet. Uh, it is time to talk about the conspiracy theory known as the Phantom Time Conspiracy, which I'm going to be getting into along with one other conspiracy theory of temporal wackiness uh now this theory claims that the year 613 to 911 ad uh 911 ad were fabrications of the future pope sylvester ii back when he's a cardinal whose name i definitely wrote down and you could test me on it and i would be able to name it so i don't even know why you'd ask uh the holy roman emperor otto iii and possibly the byzantine emperor constantine the seventh uh this theory is known as the phantom time hypothesis. Uh, it holds that not only were these years fabricated, but along with them, such historical events as the entire life of Charlemagne, the Carolinian pyramid, the life of the prophet Muhammad, along with the Muslim conquest of Iberia, Viking raids on England. Uh, basically the first half of any crusader Kings, Kings two campaign. If you play with the year real years, that's all fake. According to this theory, uh, now, I'm going to get a bit into the how and why of it, but to do that, we're going to need to talk about the Phantom Time Hypothesis's creator, the German a historian is his job title. Um, I, I think I thought you yeah, had to talk about like histories and things that happen to be a historian, but I guess not. Uh, definitionally, if you're talking about this didn't happen, does that make you a historian? I don't know if that's the case. There was no War of 1812. Uh, but that's not what this is about. Uh, this is about Herbert Illig, the quote-unquote historian who created the Phantom Time Hypothesis. Now, he was born in a small town in northeastern Bavaria, just two words, just two years, excuse me, after the end of World War II. Uh, and what's interesting about Herbert Illig is well before he creates the, Her- the Phantom Time Hypothesis, he's kind of interested in these weird, wacky, wild looks at time. Uh... He starts out by becoming active in an eccentric historical association called, and excuse me, I got to brush up on my German, uh, the class I took in college because it was the only language requirement class that was after 9 a.m. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, it was called the Gesellschaft zur Reconstruction der Menschheit und Naturgeschichte, uh, or in English, the Society for the Reconstruction of Human and Natural History. Uh, now, this association ends up being de- dedicated to Emanuel Velikovsky, a writer who holds to a school of thought known as catastrophism. Uh, now, fans of my life might know catastrophism as that thing my therapist says I need to stop doing, but that's not all it is. Uh, because in addition, catastrophism is also a school of thought that holds that the history of Earth is shaped by a series of short and violent catastrophes, and this is something that transcends culture. Uh, it has a lot to do with syncretism, so Brandon, I'm sure you've heard people talk about you know, this idea that every culture has a flood myth and this, this you know, must mm-hmm. point to some great historical event. Have you heard something like this? Yeah, I have. Now, it could be 
uh, and correct me if I'm overstepping here, that in any culture with water, you're either going to have a problem of there being too much or too little of it at some point. Is that fair to say? It's kind of a counter argument. Yeah, I've always thought the flood stories are more or less from when the ice age ended, but that's just my own theory. I think everywhere has floods for a variety of reasons. You know, I've experienced floods in New Jersey. I've experienced, I grew up in New Jersey, if you can't tell from the accent. I live in Illinois. I experienced a flood here once. Uh, I think sometimes shit just gets wet. Uh, but in Velikovsky's case, uh, his sort of syncretism of these various uh, disaster narratives in history took the form of his 1950 U.S. bestseller, Worlds in Collision. Uh, now, in Worlds in Collision, Velikovsky essentially posits that in the 15th century BCE, the planet Venus was ejected from Jupiter as what he describes as either a comet or a comet-like object. Uh, I don't know what a comet-like object is. I know what a comet is. Uh, but this in turn changed the orbit and axis of the Earth, leading to the widespread ubiquity of catastrophic events in ancient and biblical literature. Uh, these theories have mostly been rejected by the scientific community, because apparently you quote-unquote can't just make shit up and call it things that happen. Uh, but I do think it's important to note this, not because Velikovsky's theories are particularly important, but because it highlights his propensity to search for different weird and wacky parallels when he looks at history and how that then informs what he comes up with later on. Uh, in the case of Velikovsky, this can be found with, a, with an obsession between similarities between the biblical flood, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the drowning of Atlantis, and imagined planicides meteorites that are heading towards the Earth causing axial change. Uh, in the formation of the phantom time hypothesis, you can kind of find this obsession haunting his analysis of medieval history and architecture. Uh, so the other thing to note here is that Herbert Illig didn't even really start with the Middle Ages as his theory of a period of time that either didn't happen or happened drastically different than we thought. Uh, before he did this, he was rejected for two other publications, one alleging the similar theories about ancient Egypt and another alleging similar theories about prehistory. Uh, these books just didn't really make a splash. So you can see he's kind of pivoting, trying to find his market. It would be kind of a cynical analysis of what he's doing. Uh, and this all changed in the 1990s when Illig begins to draw attention in the German media, uh, particularly for his 1996 book, Das Erfunde Mittelalter, or The Invented Middle Ages. Uh, historically, Germany has kind of been a rallying point for Illig's ideas because while he's been slammed by the historical and academic establishment, uh, his work just happens to draw a lot of media and popular fascination there. Now, as I mentioned, Herbert Elig and believers in the Phantom Time Hypothesis believe that 297 years were added to history by the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, the future Pope Sylvester II, and possibly the Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII. Uh, so the question that comes to mind then is why? Well, apparently this starts with Otto III's understanding of something called Christian millenarianism. Uh, this is a strand of thought obsessed with the fulfillment of God's kingdom on earth with the 1,000th anniversary of the life of Christ. Definitionally, this is sort of something that's died out because, you know, 1, 000, the year 1,000 came and went regardless of whether or not you accept this hypothesis is true. Uh, but if you believe this to be the case, and this was very, very popular in his time, uh, to be the Holy Roman Emperor in the year 1,000 would make you a quasi-messianic political figure and so, he fabricated history to make it the case with the help of an ambitious cardinal of the church, who would end up becoming the pope, whose name before becoming the pope I did not write down, but I promise it's not that important. You guys could look it up. Uh, doing this doesn't just involve inventing a few years, 
because there can't be a possibility that God's new mathematically anointed ruler on Earth was there by mere coincidence. A historical ruler must be created to serve as a mythical predecessor to Otto and his dynasty, simultaneously mirroring the emperor and modeling the type of ruler he wished to be. And that ruler was Charlemagne. Now, for the uninitiated on the history of the Holy Roman Empire, Charlemagne was king of the Franks and a member of the Carolinian dynasty, crowned emperor of the Romans by Pope Leo III in the year 800. Uh, over the course of an accomplished reign, Charlemagne united most of Western and Central Europe, from as far west as Barcelona to as far east as Croatia, and from as far north as Saxony to as far south as Rome itself. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the history of the Holy Roman Empire, uh, both because it's not necessarily that relevant to what we're talking about, and because my wife is a literal historian who's in the other room who wants to blow her brains out every time I try to talk about history. Uh, but <laughs> suffice it to say that Charlemagne is perhaps... One of the most impressive political leaders of its time, he is far from just a skilled military tactician. He built and maintained his empire through a combination of the aforementioned military power, deft diplomacy, and modernizing reforms to the financial, educational, record-keeping, and political practices of his realm. If there was a modern person alive in the year 800, it was him. Uh, but Otto III was not a part of that dynasty. The last Carolinian to rule over the Holy Roman Empire was the disputed Arnulf of Corinthia in 887, a bastard duke who overthrew his uncle Charles the Fat to become disputed emperor for about six years. Uh, by all accounts, the story of a bastard duke overthrowing his fat and widely disliked uncle. If you want to know more about it, you can watch a great documentary that aired. It's called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I'd highly recommend checking it out. Uh, I'm sorry. Charles the Fat gets overthrown uh, by Arnulf of Corinthia. Uh, by all accounts, Arnold is a sickly and incompetent moron. He himself is overthrown in a coup, and he dies a few weeks into a quiet and cushy retirement. Uh, after some of your typical Middle Ages swapping and switching, Otto's grandfather, Otto the Great, becomes Holy Roman Emperor in 962, having already been coronated as King of Italy two decades prior, and having served as King of East Francia for nearly 30 years. Uh, as you can see, some of those titles that were originally held by Charlemagne starting to come together once again in the form of Otto. Now, that Otto, Otto I, along with his son Otto and his grandson Otto, were all a part of the Ottotian dynasty. But that didn't stop them from consciously obsessing with and seeking to emulate the legacy of the first Holy Roman Emperor. And this is particularly true of grandfather and grandson. Most notable is the fact that Otto III took the step Charlemagne did of having himself formally coronated as Holy Roman Emperor by the Pope in Rome itself, reviving the title after after a decades-long vacancy and a history plagued by disputes to the title's proper reclaimment. And three decades prior to this, when Otto was crowned king of Germany, the coronation would be held at the Aachen Cathedral, where Charlemagne himself took the same title. Because of this, one could say that the life of Otto I was in part an attempt to emulate the life of Charlemagne. He was crowned king in the same place as his forebearer, implemented many of his military victories, and reclaimed his previously held title by nearly the same means. And like Charlemagne, Otto was essential to the cultural, educational, and political identity that dominated the legacy of his empire and his dynasty. Perhaps the most notable was the development of the imperial church system. By strategically placing celibate clerics in necessary administrative positions, particularly loyal clerics consisting of his own relatives and loyal clerks, avoiding conflict with other dynasties and lines within key positions, he was able to have the de facto of of sublimating the church hierarchy to the power of the emperor and avoid a significant number of title disputes, particularly for the, the positions that he appoints somebody to. Because if you put a priest in an important administrative position, he's not having any fucking kids that you got to deal with down the line. 
Uh, without a divinely chosen legacy and some auspicious timing, uh, this could come off, come off as somewhat sacrilegious and delegitimizing. Uh, if you look at this conspiracy theory, I think this is kind of the piece that I find most interesting about it. Because if you accept this conspiracy theory is true, and if you can't tell from the way I'm talking, I don't find it particularly convincing. Uh, appointing himself as making it the year 1000 when you're emperor makes you a messianic figure. But on virtue of having made it up, it recontextualizes what would have happened were that not true from something that doesn't necessarily matter to something that, you know, and, and I'm Jewish, so maybe I'm analyzing this incorrectly, but something that an almost an antichrist would do, if that makes sense. Uh, which I find super interesting when you look at this theory. Uh, luckily, they didn't need to deal with that because Charlemagne's legacy was there to call back on. Uh, now, perhaps it's Charlemagne's nature as both a predecessor to and legitimizer of the Ottonian dynasty that led Otto III to visit Charlemagne's tomb in Aachen in the very year 1000, removing relics from both the tomb and transporting them back to Rome. You may have even seen a brief sidebar about the Catholic Church preparing for this from the perspective of a world in which this theory, along with pretty much every other conspiracy theory, is true in the fucking fantastic conspiracy science fiction comic Department of Truth by James Tynion IV. But as amazing as that comic is, it's also not what you brought me on to talk about today. Uh, because now that we have a solid understanding, or at least as solid as we can, of why the Holy Roman Emperor would want to fake hundreds of years of history, including the existence of Charlemagne, it's going to be important to explore the evidence that so much of European history was faked. Now, most of the work of Herbert Elig has only been published in German, so I'm taking a lot of this from the translated papers of Dr. Hans Ulrich Niemitz, and I have to tell you, uh, they are boring. Now, Brandon, I know you talk about conspiracy theories in the show a lot. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we dabble into it here and there. Do you encounter this with a lot of conspiracy theories, this idea of, if I make this really boring, people will think it has to be true. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think uh, my conspiracy episodes are what usually turn people off to my podcast, to be honest. Well, I'm sure this one it will be the exception. People are going to fucking love this shit, I'm sure. Uh, we're not watching that that uh, bar you know, decline down like the double black diamond slope at a ski lodge or anything. Uh in general, I think that the reason for this is that a lot of conspiracy theorists, they're trying to imitate what they think a government document is like, and that stuff is genuinely really boring. But they're also trying to build this massive web of connections and dense content and ideas that you kind of can get into a hypnotic rhythm. Um, Both of these kind of require an artifice of boredom that can put you into kind of an adaptable mental melody, if that makes sense. Uh, and the works of Dr. Hans Ulrich Niemitz are, are no exception. Uh, and because of that, I don't think it's going to be particularly helpful to you, your audience, the quest of not losing half of your listeners every time you do a conspiracy episode, uh, for me to go into every single proof he provides. Uh, so instead, I'm just going to go over a few of the most interesting, starting with, and brace yourselves, Buckle on, I don't mean to be crass in your show, but I hope your audience is buckling on to their dicks, tits, and bits, uh, so we can talk about the history of the calendar and the nature of solar cycles. Uh, because we all know that every four years on the Gregorian calendar, the one we use, we add a leap year. 
Uh, this is because we calculate the rotation of the Earth around the sun as 365.25 days. A quarter day is added every year. Uh, we can't do, have a quarter of a day, so every four years it adds up to a full day. We do that. The whole thing doesn't fall into chaos. Makes sense. Other than the fact that this is an estimation and not entirely accurate. Uh, the rotation is actually 0 0.00781 days longer than the actual rotation of the Earth. Uh, which adds up to about one day every 128 years. Uh, now, because of this, we actually skip our leap day three times every 400 years on the one century mark. And that's something that very few people alive today know about, because we did that in the year 1700, 1800, and 1900. We did not do that in the year 2000. We will do it again in the year 2100. So somebody who's born today is going to be an old man when they do this again, but to anybody else, you know, I'm born in 1995, you're born in 1980, whatever the fuck, uh, not particularly relevant, uh, unless you're gonna, unless you're planning on living particularly long, which, you know, I've got a podcaster's body, so probably not. Uh, now we then, now like I said, we observe the year that, we then observe the year that we're supposed to skip on the intermediate leap year, uh, so... In the case, in this case, the year 2000, so correct the estimations of our correction from having the opposite effect. So, you know, just to kind of sum this up, we have a leap year every four years, except for three out of every 400 years on the 100-year mark, which we didn't do in 2000, which is why you don't know about it, because you're never going to have to fucking deal with it. Uh, now, the Julian, the Julian calendar, which came before the Gregorian calendar, it did not account for any of this. Uh... What this essentially means, and we could do all sorts of math here and there, is that when the Gregorian calendar was introduced, the Julian calendar should have been behind by 13 days, just based on the amount of time that had passed between the implementation of the two calendars. But instead, it was only behind by 10, a mathematical po impossibility unless about three centuries were fabricated. Uh, but it's not just in the calendars where it would seem that about 300 years had disappeared. Appeared. Uh, now, proponents of the Phantom Time hypothesis also argue that a trained eye looking at architecture from the Carolinian dynasty set up by the alleged quote-unquote Charlemagne reveals the simple fact the entire time period may not be exactly what it seems. You see, 10th century Western Europe was filled with what's called Romanesque architecture, uh, which should have been impossible if the Roman Empire had truly fallen over 400 years prior. After all, how would all of these disconnected barbarians and kingdoms have the same pan-European architectural style? Uh, and yet, buildings such as Lasaye Abbey in France, Maria Locke Abbey in Germany, Charlemagne's own Palatine Tapel in Aachen, demonstrate the reverberation of Romanesque architecture hundreds of years after the fall of Rome, creating a pan-European style at a time when these lands shouldn't have been connected. At least if you trust so-called historians who are secretly puppets of the Atotian dynasty, uh... Now, I know what you guys are thinking, though. You're pointing at these archi architectural trends. You're pointing at solar eclipse patterns. Uh, get into some real fucking science. Get into something legit. Uh, get into something you could argue with. Uh, after all, shouldn't we be able to use reliable methods such as dendrochronology, a.k.a. tree dating? Hans Ulrich Niemitz, translating the works of uh, Herbert Elig, has a response to that. Nah. You see, dendrochronology, and you heard it here first, is fake. Uh, I'm not going to explain why 
because even I have too much dignity to explain why a German weirdo's explanation of another German weirdo's thoughts on oak trees uh, is particularly relevant on someone else someone else's podcast. So I'm not going to do that. But essentially, what you should know is that the fandom time hypothesis, a large part of it is just pointing to the well-established science of dendrochronology, saying it's fake, and saying every other academic field is desperately tied to dendrochronology in a way that is truly inescapable. Take from that as you will. Uh, now, these are far from the only proofs that the esteemed Dr. Nemus provides for the existence of fandom time. Uh, I could tell you more about exciting things like inconsistent patterns in the development of Western European ceramics, the stratigraphies under Frankfurt am Main, or the three-century stall in the development of new farming techniques. I think now might be a good time to talk about the why and how of some of these takes. Uh, and to do that, we're going to need to talk about what Dr. Nemitz writes about the nature of fakes produced by the Catholic Church and their correspondence to history. Because the Church was always always fabricating tales about saints and miracles for both political and theological legion, reasons. And the fact that the Catholic Church lied for political reasons in the Middle Ages is not a particularly controversial or conspiratorial fact. Uh, you know, that this is welcome to history. Uh, this is something that's pretty well established. Um, all sorts of tales of saints and miracles were fabricated. Uh but pointing to a lecture by Horace Furman, president of the Monumenta Germanae Historica, Dr. Nemitz claims that Furman argued that the medieval Catholic Church's most successful fakes had a sort of anticipatory character, that they came at a time that would allow them to wait for their own time to come. In other words, it wouldn't necessarily work to produce a fully fabricated fake history of Charlemagne to justify the political changes of the Holy Roman Emperor, but having a having a figure like Charlemagne to point back to, but the existence of the Holy Roman Empire under the Atotian dynasty allowed for fake histories about Charlemagne to thrive, exist, spread around. Uh, it's almost a sort of symbiotic relationship is what Nemitz is arguing. Uh, and he argues the fakes associated with the phantom time period could not have on their own created the emerging doctrine of papal centralism. Uh... Now, I'm not going to go too heavily into the history of the Catholic Church and the doctrine of papal, of papal supremacy, but what your listeners would want to know is this. The Pope has always been understood as the head of the Western Roman Catholic Church, uh, at least since the East-West Schism, but the level of authority granted by that position has increased drastically and changed drastically over the centuries. Uh, during the so-called Phantom Time, the papacy granted a drastic amount of civil authority, uh, and perhaps the most notable figure associated with this transition came prior to that in Gregory I. Uh, now, the son of a Roman senator who himself served as the prefect of Rome in 300 AD, Gregory's political background made him a force to be reckoned with in the world of bureaucracy administration. He shaped medieval Europe by aligning the barbarian kingdoms of the former Western Roman Empire with the papacy, creating a political counterweight to the Byzantine Empire that ended with the appointment of Charlemagne 300 years after Pope Leo III's, uh, uh, after, sorry, 300 years after Pope Gregory I passed away. Uh, by Pope Leo III, almost exactly 200 years after Gregory's papacy ended, taking the kingdoms built up around the supporting Charlemagne and forming a genuine political body built around the papacy in which the Pope was simultaneously protected by an emperor who could only rule by papal consent. Uh, so 300 years prior to Charlemagne, 
the sort of political transition to put the Catholic Church in the political power that it needed to create what we kind of think of as Catholic Europe during the Middle Ages. Uh, that starts with Gregory Third, and the story of Charlemagne kind of creates a historical three-act structure around that to make what's happening with Otto seem fully justified. Uh, and this is to say nothing of the Crusades. You have the rise of Islam throughout the Arabian Peninsula, the Muslim conquest of Iberia, and this demanding a strong militant and centralized church in response. That is, if all of these things are totally true. Uh, in fact, people who believe in the Phantom Time hypothesis would argue that it is almost too perfect to say that these events occurred organically and symbiotically over the course of several hundred years through a series of complex causes. Uh, uh, could the answer not actually be that these stories were created over the centuries and inserted into Emperor Otto's newly created Phantom Time hole to further cement present material realities? Now, I probably have you guys pretty convinced, uh, but some haters and sheep do continue to doubt the veracity of the Phantom Time theory. So I guess I should go into a few objections uh, to the concept of free thought before we continue. Uh, let's start the argument that we opened up with, that the Julian and Gregorian calendars were far too in sync for the supposed Phantom Time to have occurred. Now, as noted, the Julian calendar being off by 10 days instead of 13 should account for about 300 years, but unfortunately... What Phantom Time believers aren't taking into account is the Council of Nicaea. Uh, because while, our Chris while Christian listeners of the show might think of the First Council of Nicaea as simply the source of modern Christian belief, a.k.a. the Nicene Creed, that is far from the only innovation introduced to the Council. And perhaps the more societally significant one was the decision to calculate the date of Easter independently of the Hebrew calendar. Uh, now, this became somewhat of a huge controversy within the Church, but for the sake of the po this podcast, the main thing to note is that this involved a significant amount of calculation around eclipses. And since this was 325 AD, aka 300 years since the death of Jesus, that essentially accounts for the missing three days. Uh, similarly, the argument against Romanesque architecture also doesn't really hold water. This was, this was a simple style, it was aesthetically pleasing, easy to make, and it was part of a shared cultural heritage because... If you remember about the Holy Roman Empire, their thing was kind of taking over half the fucking world. Uh, so it makes sense that this would unite vast swaths of Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. Now, the argument about dendrochronology being fake doesn't hold water, mainly for the fact that dendrochronology isn't the only way to date something. And I don't think that the tree lobby holds that much water. Uh, now, when I initially researched for this, which we talked about on our conspiracy special, this is where I was going to end it. But... Uh, believe it or not, this is not the only abjectly fucking insane counter calendar conspiracy theory that I found over the uh, course of the last few months. Uh, now, I don't know if this is something that, Brandon, you find yourself talking about on this show a lot. Um, it's something that I call stem brain. Do you ever talk about this? No, we haven't. Stem brain is, you take people who are good at math. And personally, I don't trust people who are good at math. Because you see the gif of the guy, they're doing those fucking equations in their head, they think they're so fucking smart, but they're almost using those, they're almost always doing math in their head to find some way to tell you that some historical atrocity or another didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, usually it's nothing good. Um, stem brain, though, essentially is the fact that when people are good at math, people tell them they're very smart, and then eventually they start to get fucking ideas, and those ideas are almost always incredibly fucking stupid. But 
you can't argue with them because they just know how to yell numbers at you until you shut up. So what are you going to do? Now, this comes in the form of a rushing conspiracy theory that I'm going to talk about now called the new chronology. Uh, now, if you think Illig's missing 300 years are a bit much, this comes from a histor from a mathematician called Anatoly Timofibish Fomenko. Uh, and it's genuinely one of the most fucking insane things I've ever heard of. Uh, within the new chronology, it's less about a missing gap in time, so much as time acting as a sort of weird fucking accordion, where in Greek, Roman, and Egyptian history all fold into the Middle Ages like a confusing time, Papa John's Pizone, uh, with the so-called Dark Ages being entirely eliminated. So in this model, all of human history goes back to the year 800, 800, 800 AD. The years 800 to 1000 are a zone that we know almost nothing about, and the history that we do know takes place between the years 1000 and 1500. Now, Fomenko explains, that by noting, explains this by noting parallels between various historical figures and events, suggesting that perhaps they may be the same. For instance, Jesus is also the same person as the prophet Elisha, uh, Elisha, E-L-I-S-H-A, from the Bible, not to be confused with Elijah, uh, the prophet that precedes him in the Bible, uh, Pope Gregory VII, Saint, the, Jesus is also equ equated with, St. Basil of Caesarea, and the Chinese Emperor Li Wanhao, also known as the Emperor Xinjiang, or the Son of Heaven. Uh, meanwhile, the city of Rome itself actually refers to a variety of cities. The first Rome is Mitzrayim, the biblical Egyptian city around the Nile. Then there's the third Rome, which we know as Rome. Uh, this is actually the least important Rome, founded in 1380 by the mythical Trojan hero Aeneas. Uh, the second Rome, known as the New Rome, is actually Constantinople. Nople. This is also the city that we know as Jerusalem from the Bible, where Jesus taught, uh, with the actual Jerusalem that we talk about having been a nondescript Palestinian village prior to what we call the 15th century. Uh, because Solomon's Temple, the Temple from the Bible, don't you know, that is actually still around as the Hagia Sophia Mosque, which I think is just great that there is a conspiracy theory that says our temple is still around, but it's still a fucking mosque in this world either way. Uh, now, Fomenko believes that all of history has been fabricated to cover up as a cover-up that comes from the Catholic Church, the Holy Rome, the House of Romanov, the Holy Roman Empire, and a few other groups to keep us from discovering the history of the actual greatest empire in history, which he refers to as the Great Russian Horde. Now, according to Fomenko, historical people such as the Huns, Goths, Burgers, Cossacks, Belarusians, Ukrainians, and Poles, and more... Uh, have all been elements of this solitary Russian empire, which is in fact the greatest empire ever to exist in history. Its accomplishments and culture now, now uh, totally obfuscated by detractors of the horde to get us to buy, buy into a false narrative of history. Uh, needless to say, this has made these theories really popular with weird Russian imperialists on the internet, but they aren't the only people to believe them. Uh, because perhaps the most notable believer in the theory, who played a tremendous role in spreading it to more mainstream audiences in Russia, although he has since denounced it, is the Russian chess grandmaster Garry Kasparov. Uh, in the past, Kasparov has said, New chronology is a great area for investing my intellect. My analytical abilities are well-placed to figure out what was right and what was wrong. Uh, he even at one point went as far as to say that he may focus on promoting new chronology when he retires from chess. Uh... Anyway, I would tell you guys more about this, but you would have to read about it in Fomenko's breezy seven-volume series, History, Fact, or Science, which I love the title, I'm sorry, History, Fiction, or Science, which I love the title of, 
Because I'm pretty sure, and I'm not an expert here, but I'm pretty sure it's fucking neither. Well, the whole thing to me, it basically sounds like it's something that was, uh, they're saying there's time that was missing or whatever, but at the end of the day, I don't think it really affects anything, does it? Well, I think that's what I find interesting about this stuff is that you have the two versions of the theory. You have the Phantom Time, the first version about the Holy Roman Empire, and I'd consider that fairly harmless. It's a fairly typical anti-Catholic conspiracy theory, but it's against like the medieval Catholic Church, which I don't think is particularly relevant. Um, I don't think anybody's committing any acts of violence or like fucking harming a priest over this, right? The Great Russian Horde one, uh, the new chronology, I would say is actually a lot more dangerous because if you look at a lot of the narratives that you would associate with modern Russian imperialism, narratives, you know, that, you know, I would say are actively fueling a lot of the war in Ukraine, a conspiracy theory like this of essentially all of this huge swath of Europe is actually Russia and it is our solemn duty to reclaim it, not even because of Soviet history, but because of, you know, our inherent sort of ethno-national history, that's a lot more dangerous and politically relevant. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just referring to, like, with the whole time concept and everything else. I recently had Yeah, I guess episode. if you're a medieval peasant in the year 800, that's the weird fucking thing, right? You can just tell me whatever. My life sucks either way. I think the top concept of what year it is, that's what I was getting at, is basically, it doesn't really matter what we say the year is. It's all based off of what some jackass decided to say whatever year it was. So, yeah. it, at the but, end of the day, like, if it's 2345 or actually 1822 like it doesn't really matter it at the end of the day like we're only going by what someone else deemed it would to be anyways there's really no concept no, when it comes to the years of the arts literally just a device made by i thought it was the ancient romans or whatever yeah the uh well the current calendar the gregorian calendar uh is actually after it's actually after emperor otto it's sort of it's its own thing uh, the Julian calendar is by the Romans. Obviously, you know, the Jewish calendar, we've had our own calendar for, uh, what are we on now, 5783. Uh, you know, you have the Chinese calendar, Persia, the, Iran, I mean, they have their own calendar. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's not like, it's not like there's any one, you know, there, there there's difference at, between every single calendar. Um, I think that where, you know, I think that what, Believers in both theories, but particularly the phantom time theory, it's a question of what are you using the gap for? Um, when when you make when you claim something didn't happen, you could kind of fill in the blanks to what you want to have happen there. So I'd say that this theory becomes very malleable to kind of like, why did they do it? What did they make up? What actually happened? You can kind of choose your own adventure, which I think the best, you know, kind of the most successful conspiracy theory branding it's all about uh letting people fill in the blanks and put in their own uh flavor of choice everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. When it comes to conspiracies, and this is where the name for the podcast was derived from, obviously Tinfoil was 
tinfoil hat. Um, yeah. I've never looked at them as the sense of just looking at conspiracies to see conspiracies. Like the things that I've liked to dabbled into are something that I actually believe that they're a hundred percent got some truth behind them. And they're usually, if there's a conspiracy, there's usually basically the old saying is if there's smoke, there's fire. I feel like all the conspiracies for the most part, not all, but a lot of the ones that are more mainstream, I think there's a lot of false information put into those conspiracies that throw off detractors or throw off people from actually finding out the truth. And what we see today, we're literally only seeing it because that's what the infamous they want us to see, whoever the hell they are. I don't know. Um, but stuff like this, who would have been the they of that era? You know what I mean? Like, what yeah, was well, the- I mean, I mean, it's very obvious in that era who the they was part as part of it, right? You look, li- you lived under your king, your king was under the Holy Roman Emperor, your the Holy Roman Emperor was under the Pope. So, like, any conspiracy theory kind of becomes an anti Catholic, you know, not even necessarily anti Catholic, but a conspiracy theory about the Catholic Church because it's not like. You know, I think now we live in a democracy and when we're looking at who's actually in charge, you know, whether it's corporations or whoever, people, you know, people can point to this idea of maybe it's somebody else. But I guess to use another example, have you ever seen the quote attributed to Voltaire? Uh, if you want to know who controls you, look at who you're not allowed to criticize. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate that quote for a few reasons. Number one, Voltaire didn't say it. You can read Voltaire. You read everything Voltaire wrote. He said a lot of shit, wrote a lot of shit. That was not one of them. Number two, uh, if that was true, it would make, you know, and I'm speaking as a comedian and a host of a comedy podcast here. If it was true, it would make Make-A-Wish kids the most powerful people on earth. And I just don't think that's the case. Uh, uh, but number three, um, Voltaire didn't need to wonder who, who controlled him, right? Because he lived under a fucking absolute monarchy. So he had a very good idea of who was in charge. Um, and a lot of modern conspiracies, you know, part of it is that we need to think about, we do need to think about who the they is. And a lot of modern conspiracy theories, in my opinion, it tends to be less about what's, it, it, it the focus tends to be much more on pinpoint finding a they than whether or not the claim itself is true, if that makes sense. No, no, I'm just, with me and everything else, like I have a very I wouldn't say open mind. I, I say I'm open minded, but I have a very distinct mind to where I don't trust pretty much anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's sad to say it that way, but like literally that's just how I feel like you have to be because at the end of the day, we only see whatever the news tells us. We And that's only because that's mainstream stuff. There's literally... And this will kind of, I've wanted to talk about this since this morning. Did you see what blew up in the house that blew up in, I think it was uh, Virginia this morning? No, I didn't. What was this? The police were supposedly serving a warrant to this guy and he was shooting off flares. And then his entire house, like a big house, exploded like a bomb went off. They said it was from a flare from inside. I've never seen a fucking flare blow an entire house up. If that's the case, why are we sending bombs across the, over to Europe, to Ukraine, and whatever else 
send them some flares because clearly that does some damage. And I don't believe right. that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then I started to look into it a little bit. And, of course, you see all these random people on their Twitters or X or whatever the hell you want to call it. And supposedly this guy, they I won't say the name, and I don't know if this is true or not. I'm not doing any vetting. I just literally saw it. But this guy had a YouTube channel, and he was leaking government information about three weeks ago. And they had all these videos. And the last one was like two days ago. And he's leaking all these documents that he'd been scanning or whatever to the internet. Now, is this really the same guy or someone making all this up? Who the hell knows? You can't believe 99% of the shit you see on the internet. <laughs> but mainstream media is saying the guy was having a standoff with the police and shot a flare and his house exploded. That makes zero sense to me. Like, if you no, actually it's... see the explosion, it is like a, the entire house blew up. Like, it, there was like a bomb went off. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at this now, um, and yeah, I don't, you know, I can't speak to the uh, the leak claims because I don't, you know, I haven't seen uh, just because I'm literally just looking at it now, so I can't, you know, speak to that side of it. But uh, obviously, this doesn't look like that from my knowledge. But also, I mean, you say you don't trust anyone. Uh, I trust a few people. As a rule, I don't trust the cops. I don't even really trust individual cops, but I especially don't trust a statement that comes from, like, the police. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I have no idea. I just know that uh, I don't believe it was a flare. I don't know what they were there for. I don't know what was going on, but all I've seen was someone had shared the video on... Yeah. And I clicked on it. There was nothing anywhere. I had to Google up the story, and I found it. And then everything just said, man, with a standoff and a flare blew up in the house. I was like, that makes zero sense. I've never seen a flare cause an explosion like that. Well, but this is kind of like, uh, you know, and this is this is kind of where, you know, so, so on my show, like we're a comedy podcast. We take a look at, you know, we talked about this on our conspiracy special because we were traveling and we couldn't do what we normally do, which is. Cryptid, UFO, ghost, you know, wacky stories of the week, just taking a fun look. Um, but when we look at conspiracy theories, you know, what I find really frustrating is like what you're talking about. Uh, you know, we have the police in this country. I mean, I'm I'm assuming, you know, from our accent, we, we have the two very different types of American accent voices and energy here. Uh, I think it's fair to say you're an indica and I'm a sativa a little bit. Um, but, you know, as, as far as like in this country goes, in the U.S., like, you know, we have the police extrajudicially killing people with, you know, enough enough ar- enough of a military to overthrow Luxembourg in an hour. You know, your fucking local sheriff's department in Missouri. Uh, I, we've made Judge Dredd a fucking reality in this country. And conspiracy theorists today want to make shit up about, like, you know, Tom Hanks molesting a 12-year-old in a Taco Bell. Uh, and not focus on the very real very violent like marching authoritarian armies that could just blow a guy up in his house or that could maybe just blow a guy up in his house and say no he shot a flare uh which yeah like you know i wouldn't necessarily i i need to know more about the story uh, you know i i'm not gonna i am not going to publicly say what happened about something i don't know much about but no. like i said rule of thumb i don't believe a statement by the police when it's coming from the police in their capacity as the police 
Yeah, like I said, the only thing I saw was someone had supposedly reported this guy was shooting off flares at his property, and then the police said they were having a standoff with him, trying to reason with him, and he shot flares at them, and then he shot another one, and it blew up the house. I was like, that makes no sense. But, yeah. Okay. But, but this is exactly, I mean, this is kind of the fucking problem, too, with the modern conspiracy culture, right, is at, I, I normally, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't get political, but, you know, modern conspiracy culture, uh, you've got this shit going on, but then conspiracy theorists are, like, marketing to guys with fucking thin blue line Punisher skulls on their Ford F1, on their fucking Ford pickup trucks or whatever the fuck, right? Like, I don't know. It, it's just... There's there's two things right now. My friend actually sent them to me a little bit ago. <laughs> there is now a Q official website, and it keeps having these countdowns. And every time they get to the end of the countdown, <laughs> another countdown starts over. And I keep saying, <laughs> I keep saying, like you're literally giving them the traffic that they want. It's like, uh, and then it's I like buying to- fucking World Series tickets. Well. I, with you being Jewish and obviously with a Christian, people will understand that everyone says Jesus is coming back. And I'm not trying to offend anyone out there, but like, it's the same thing I feel like with these Q people is, oh, Q's coming. It's coming. The, the happening's coming. Oh, it didn't happen. Well, it's still coming. It's still coming. It's just like you're waiting for Jesus to come back. He's, oh, he's coming back this year. Well, he didn't come back. Well, he's coming back soon. Like, yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. That, it's, I was like, it's almost a fucking cult to itself because people are literally buying into this stuff and looking into this stuff. And I was like, you're literally, <laughs> you keep going back there. So it's literally just a blank website with like a countdown on it. Like, you know what the most fucking empathy I ever felt for Q people was? It's when I saw them having these fucking, like, it's this time, it's this time, it's this time. Because that's the same fucking conversations I have every year as a Mets fan. And that's not a good way to live your life. Didn't the Mets just win, though, recently? Did they just win recently? Whenever I'm not look, whenever I'm not watching, they do. Uh, I, I thought they won a World Series a few years back. No, they were in the World Series a few okay. years ago. They lost. Okay. They, won the, they last won the World Series in 1986. I know that much. So I'm not much of a baseball fan, so it's hard for me to keep track. I know, uh, I know when the Cubs won around this area, because literally that's all everyone in my neck of the woods is all Cub fans. So, oh, are you a uh, you're a Chicago guy? No, I'm from Indiana, but we don't have a team. Oh no, I was gonna maybe we shouldn't talk about this on the show. I was gonna say, I mean, I'm actually in Central Illinois. That's funny. I but I. You know, I'm a Mets guy. I uh, the other team that I root for is the New Jersey Devils because I grew up in Jersey. Uh, every other team, you know, the football teams they play in New Jersey. They say they're New York. The Nets they fucking left Brooklyn. They were seduced by the uh, wily magic and seductive curves of Jay Z and his money. Uh, but the Devils <laughs> hold the goddamn line. So that's where that's where I'm at. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that, you know, get, getting back to the serious topic, I do think that with, with Q people, I think you kind of have that classic example of it's happening. You can just put out the countdown indefinitely, and it is whatever you want it to be. I just never understood of all people why they thought Agent Orange was the savior. <laughs> they still do. Like, 
I won't say the name because I don't feel like being flagged, but I've always refer- referred to him as. Oh, uh, you're, re- you're Ar- referring to Rutherford B. Hayes, right? Their uh, preferred yeah. president. Agent yeah. Orange with tiny hands, that guy. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I just, there are a few reasons for it. I think first, um, you want they wanted to justify. Like, I, I mean, I think you have different groups of it, but let's just look at like the sort of because you you drew the Jesus comparison, and I do think there's a huge sort of evangelical portion or people who were evangelical or who broadly would align with evangelical culture. And I think that during the 2016 election. And I'm going to try to avoid using any flag words, but maybe you'll have to bleep me. Uh, During the 2016 election, the thing you would say to somebody like that, at least the thing that I said to people like that who were voting for him in my life, who were kind of in that evangelical or more conservative Catholic or Orthodox Jewish worldview, was like, you know, you, you have these values of decency and civility and, uh, you know, as as much as like, like as much as it's good to talk shit about and condemn a lot of the right, and in particular, I think a lot of what's become social conservatism. Prior to 2016, I do think it was broadly fair to say that there was a certain type of commun- communitarian value and a certain type of uh, you know approach to decency that, if it was not entirely good, was at least broadly beneficial. Uh, that that you know kind of came along with that and would be counter that would be opposed to somebody like. Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. Uh, well, when 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 you kind of lay that out for people who are still going to vote for him because he still is, you know, going after all of their grievances, uh, they need a response that's so extreme that it, uh, you know, can kind of move people into the other direction. And the way to do that is to say, no, he's actually the savior. Yes, he's flawed, but he needs to be flawed because he's not. He's not who we want to be. It's who we want to fight for us. Um, and I'll say the other thing, too, you know, uh, in both Judaism and Christianity. And again, I'm not defending any of this, but this is just kind of what the types of reasoning they'll hear is I do think that there is a very real invocation of this image of the quote unquote Davidic Messiah, uh, you know, a figure like King David. Uh, how much how? Much, how I, I guess I should, number one, I'm going to clarify for your audience kind of where I'm coming from with this. Uh, I'm Jewish. That's, you know, my religious tradition and my cultural heritage are important to me. Uh, but I, when I talk about something like the Bible, when I talk about something like the Talmud, I'm looking at it as a piece of art and poetry that's reflective of a cultural tradition, not as something that's fact, not, not you know, in reference to factual, historical, or even really theological significance. Um, and with that in mind, I guess just asking, like, how... I guess, how familiar are you with the biblical King David? Uh, I wouldn't say I know a whole lot about David. I know like a little bit, but I try not to, I'm not religious at all. Yeah. Look, religious or not religious, I think everyone should read at least the Jewish Bible. Uh, You know, I think we, I think we did it best uh, personally. But uh, the reason I think that I think that people should is that I do genuinely think, you know, it it made a big splash for a reason. It's a very, uh, you know, there's a lot of beautiful poetry. It'll teach you a lot about, you know, how a culture will tell its own mytho, mythopoetic history and stuff like that. Um, 
you just need to read it like you would read another culture's natural national epic and not read it like a uh, work of history. But the thing to know about David is that David is historically, you know, he is the in the Jewish tradition, the Messiah will come from the line of David. In the Christian tradition, Jesus is considered to be somewhat of the Davidic line, although it gets a bit complicated when dad's God. Uh, but essentially, like, they, they make the argument that he's from the Davidic line. Um, and David is considered the greatest king in the history of the Israelites, and of the history of, you know, the Jewish people slash b- biblical peoples by far. And he's also a deeply, deeply flawed individual. He's paranoid. He kills people. He's a tyrant. He's incredibly, incredibly fucking horny. Uh... All of which is to say that these things, you know, if you are taking a very specific type of Christian nationalist view, it's very easy to tie somebody like uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, let's say, with uh, this idea of the Davidic Messiah. I think with mine, this goes back to the original thing with Q. (laughs) You know the whole cabal story, right? Basically, the elites are all part of this evil satanic cabal or whatever, and that's what Q was all about. They thought he was going to yeah. come and expose all that and drain the swamp and Pizzagate with all the... You mentioned about Tom Hanks earlier. Uh, Pizzagate and all the children being shipped off to that creepy little island out there with the guy that didn't kill himself was... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the thing that always struck me as straight up unbelievably stupid, and yet they all went for it, was they thought it was JFK Jr., who's been dead for 25 years at this point, if not longer. I think it may be even longer. Yeah. But he was the mastermind that was coming back for his good friend, and Agent Orange was doing all this because he was such good friends with that family. I was like, what? <laughs> None of this makes any freaking sense. And it's it, it also I, weird because, like, you, you know, like, there was the Kennedy is still alive theory for a while, right? Uh, that theory was flo- floated around for a long time. Uh, but at least Kennedy was like a president. And you can't really do Ted Kennedy is still alive. Because, you know, we watched him die a cancer-ridden drunk, and it was mostly pretty sad. Um, RFK Jr. still alive. Like, like, JFK Jr., let's say he is still alive. And he died before I was born, I think. Didn't, wouldn't he die in 1990? No, he died flying an airplane, I think, in, like, 98. So he, he died when I was in preschool then. Uh Let's say he is still alive. What did he do besides, like, start a fashion magazine that failed and crash a plane? I and I don't want you. to insult him. <laughs> but, like... He died in 1999. JF- yeah. If JFK Jr. is still alive, do you want him to be your president? What did he ever do? To That's make what people, I'm saying. Not like, 
that's where I scratch my head with the whole thing. Like, I think, and this is not me being a sympathizer. I think the people that fall for this type of stuff, I think they have good intentions. Oh yeah. hundred percent. No, if you actually like you, everyone wants to be the good guy. Everyone wants to be the main character. Um, people do see that there's actual corruption happening in front of our faces and they, you can't blame them for buying the Hollywood version. I just feel like with these people that are, I don't want to say gullible, but there's really no other way of saying it. Like if you're going to buy into something like this, what else would you buy into? You know what I mean? And like, I think the whole thing is like a psyop to be honest. Well, that's why Q, um, I I mean, I don't even know about PSYOP. I think it's very easy to say things are PSYOPs uh, when oftentimes the solution is just like people make shit up and it's not necessarily, you know, organized. But regardless, um, I mean, Q works because it becomes a sort of Rosetta Stone for conspiracy theories where everything you believe in, that if you're not happy with like what's going on in that community, there's something there. Um, but I mean, look, like, I mean, Q is a very, like, like, I I guess all which to say that I think you're, well, I'm trying to think of a way to put this. Uh, I think that with Q, it becomes a lot more dangerous because it adds a moral imperative to a lot of that stuff where, you know, if you actually believe that every single elite in the country, you know, everybody, whoever, is actually like trafficking kids on mass to an island to do you know any sort of horrible thing that I can't say on YouTube or Spotify, uh, you know if you believe that, then it you, it becomes an imperative to do something, and usually because we're living in reality, it just becomes people doing something horrible. I feel like this is more. I think it's something that people should actually understand and be willing to talk about, but no one really wants to beat the dead horse at this point. But again, if someone is willing to do what supposedly happened and goes on like, oh, we're we're gonna take back the country, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna we're gonna riot because our agent of orangeness said to and this it's very hypocritical. And I said the same thing during twenty twenty with all the stuff going on. I thought it was actually ironic and funny that during the summer of 2020, it was burn it down, stand for justice, blah, 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 riot this, riot that. And then the moment that happened on the other side of the coin in January later that, or January, six yeah. months later, like now all the same people were like, they flip flopped and they're yeah. like, Oh, it's like one side. Well, that's, the- that's, that's because not, I don't know, man. Like that, that that this gets into like uh you, you know, not like like I think that the equivalency only exists if you believe that two things are the same. Like, you know, uh fighting against, you know, protesting against you know, people being killed by the police versus trying to overturn a democratic election to install your reactionary dictator particularly when we already have under undemocratic systems in place in this country 
to install your reactionary dictator and they didn't work. Like, I just don't think there's an equivalency. You have to look at what people are protesting about and make an evaluation on whether or not they're good or bad. No, I understand that. What I'm just pointing out is basically like all the people that were so against what was going on during the summer were the ones that were turning around and doing it in the winter. I thought yeah, it no, the, it's, it's on, on the hypocrisy. flip side, I think it's more true because their argument against it in the summer, for the most part, because a lot of these people aren't just going to say, and I'm talking about the, the American right, aren't just going to say like, you know, we're against this protesting because we, we think it's good when the police kill black people. So they're going to make some shit up about decorum or rule of law or whatever the fuck. Uh, because of that, like, it, it does become more transparently hypocritical. I think the whole two-party system's fucked in general, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, no, we, we we totally, I mean, our two-party system's completely fucked. Um, and, and it's not fucked necessarily for the people, who, for the reasons people think, because people present it as, uh, you know, just people are being drawn to either extreme. And you do have, I mean, particularly in the right, you have extremism. But I would say as well, like, we don't really have, you know, kind of famously in the U.S., uh, we don't really have like what would be considered a left wing in the way that there is around the world. We don't really, ha you know, we kind of have a centrist party and a right wing party, whereas if we had a centrist party, a left wing party, a center left party, a center right and a right wing party. We'd probably have a very different politics. But, you know, I think that, you know, in the broader sense, the system's fucked, two party system's fucked, capitalism's fucked, our economic system's fucked. I... Uh, but at least you can listen to our podcasts. <laughs> yeah, at this point, my podcast probably fucked too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I'm glad I lubed up before coming on to fuck you further. <laughs> no, it's actually been doing decent. But again, one of the last times I had a conspiracy podcast was a show swap, and I got so much hate from people over that one, like. That episode's awful. I don't agree with that. I lost listeners. I was like, okay, <laughs> sorry. It, like, it's got to be hard to do what you like. I don't envy it because we don't really have guests. I, we when we have guests, it's usually people that I know. Um, actually, we haven't had any guests yet, but the guests that we're planning, it's people that I know, like comedians and stuff like that. But it's got to be not great to be having guests on to talk because because you know, like the UFO world, the cryptid world the conspiracy world you know various types of people want to talk about it and you don't always know what they're gonna say the hardest thing for me is having guests and them actually sticking to appearing oh I've my had, fucking god dude you i've had last night ghosted i had one friday night ghosted I've even talked to the people to confirm, like I sent you a message to confirm. I do this with everyone, and they'll confirm. And if they don't confirm, I'm like, well, obviously it's not going to happen, but I'll still try and see if it does. I get ghosted all the time by people that'll message me, oh, I want to come on the show. I got this to talk about. I set everything up and then never hear from them again. I was like, why the fuck are you wasting my time? I, number one, I... Uh... Let me email you because we almost certainly got ghosted by the same person recently, but I don't want to say it on the air. Uh, number two, but no, it's a fucking, at least I know how a policy, and this is something that we started after recently when we got ghosted. Uh, I will no longer announce 
a guest until I have them. Like, because we, we do week by week usually. Uh, I will no longer announce a guest until they show up. Yeah, I don't ever announce future episodes. I just record. I have them on backlogs and they come out when they come out. I learned real quickly that I can't say I'm having guests come on because those guests continue to flake out. So it's more or less just yeah. people reach out to me. They send me an email. They message me on Facebook, whatever it is they got to do. And then we get something set up. I've been hit up by people through Reddit. I've been hit up by people through my email accounts. And I'm trying to be picky. And I know that's kind of shitty if the listeners out there think I'm not going to listen to what they have to say. But sometimes I get emails and the stuff that people are telling me. And I'm not here to say it's wrong or true or just like whatever. But sometimes I feel like they're so fantastical fabricated that it couldn't possibly be true. You couldn't have, you deal with cryptids or whatever. You couldn't live in a haunted house. And then you were also abducted by aliens. And then you also went out into the woods and saw Bigfoot. And then while Bigfoot was out there, he was mating with a friggin' dog man. My Mothman was sitting up in the tree watching like all these straight up, just ludicrous. Any of this, any, this happened to me story. I don't really do. I mean, like, at least to me, it's a question of, you know, I either you're going to get someone number one, when I talk about this stuff, I tend to be more interested in like, you know, what is the whether it's the ghost hunting community or the Bigfoot hunting community? Like, what are they saying? Where are they saying? And, and when you have people who put themselves out there in a level of public profile, I think that's one thing. But as far as somebody approaching you to and being like, you know, I saw this, I saw that, um, you know, I always I, I always try to be cognizant of, you know. We're in this world, you either have people with an agenda or people who are lying, or you might have people who are, you know, maybe experiencing hallucinations for any number of reasons. So it's always something I, I try to be sensitive to. And I know, uh, I'm sure, our, I, yeah, it's just something that uh, can come up in this world, I think. I said, I always want to give a platform for people because I had some weird shit happen to me. And that's, oh, the no, totally. I, that's the reason I do the podcast. So I always try and let everyone have a platform. But if you're telling me this is what happened to you and you had all these experiences and it all just happened to you, I tend to not necessarily think that it's true. It might be 100% true to the person, but I don't necessarily know if it's true in reality. Like they could have, like you just said, they could have some sort of issue, like psychological issue, delusions. Like I don't, I don't know. And I don't want to be the type of person that's just. I'm just going to air whatever out there because I need content. I need content. I'm not going to vet my guests. I'm not. Gonna, that's not what I'm about. Like I want to give everyone a take advantage of that. Yeah, that's not what I'm trying to do. Like I don't want to come off here and just be like, well, that's a new episode. There's people out there from other podcasts that literally will air some straight up out there stuff, and you could even tell that the people telling the story. Bro, I'm a Jewish not, guy I'm, coming on to a conspiracy podcast. It's like, I know the type of shit that you got to vet for. Yeah. Like, you could tell that they're 100% bullshitting just by the way they're yeah. talking and everything. And yet they, they just air it out there. I was like, that is not what I'm about. So if someone comes on here and gives me some straight up crazy craziness stuff, like, I've had some stuff out there in the past. And again, that was when I first started out. So I'm more lenient these days on accepting things but at the same time i'm gonna be a little bit more picky on certain topics because there's some things that it's not that i don't believe it but it's just kind of best that i don't 
continue to go down that path because sometimes I feel like there's something else going on with these people and it seems like I'm taking advantage and that's not what I'm here to try and do. No, totally. I totally get it. I think we're, you know, we're on the same page with it. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, what we do, what we do is a little bit different that we we tend to have fewer guests, but it is, it is very scary. You know, it is a uh, very, I guess scary is the wrong word, a bit dramatic, but it is, uh, it's always an area of concern in this world, I guess, to not be taking advantage of people, to not be airing lies and to not be, uh, you know, airing people who want to use their platform to spread hate or misinformation or whatever, uh, but also to create entertaining content, you know? Mm-hmm. I said, I've, I've had guests on here that I'm pretty sure weren't being honest, but at the end of the day, who am I to say that they're not? You know what I mean? I'm not here to say someone's lying straight up. Obviously, you yeah. can tell if someone's lying, but I'm not going to sit there and argue with someone that, oh, you're not, this isn't true. Because then you're literally going to scare off every single person that would ever want to come on your show if you start arguing with a guest about their story not making any sense. Yeah, and well, and, and until somebody's achieved a level, a profile, it's not necessary, right? Like, you know, you're not... You know, when, once you've gone on to a bunch of different shows and, like, your story spreads out there... Then if somebody wants to have you on and argue with you and pick holes in what you're doing, that's one thing. But if somebody's coming on to your show, uh, uh, you know, and they're trying to tell, you know, what they're saying is their story and you're the first release they've told it, you know, if you think it's bullshit, don't have them on. Yeah. That's, and not even I've, bullshit, they're lying, bullshit, they're, you know, whatever. I haven't been very... I used to tell people I don't want to know much about their story because I like to listen to it and hear it and react without knowing about it. But anymore, I've been asking for more details just because, like I said, these past episodes I've had, I wish I would have vetted them a little more. And I'm not the type. I was like, I spent the time recording. I set up the interview. I'm I'm going to release it at this point. But at the same time, if I think some stuff's straight up bullshit, I'm not going to even bother trying to do an interview. Yeah, well... uh... You know, well, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I know, like you said, you'll have you have to release it now either way because you did t- take the time. <laughs> uh, so that's good. Uh, when did you say this coming out? In a few months, right? This will probably come out. Here we are. It should be out in about two months. Right. So, well, you know, I just wanted to say to your audience, look, um, I know things are really hard right now. Uh, we've known the British are coming back for a long time. So Charles can't have us. Grab the guns. Stick with it. Uh, War of 1812-3, this time it's personal. Let's go. (laughs) And to our British soldier listeners, uh, I will say I will quarter you. I will quarter you. I will give up my American rights right away. Uh, I'm waving my neutral flag as a Jutalian. So got to play both sides here. I am a... My numbers are pretty good in the UK. They're the We have number- one UK listener. I think I know him. I've got a I don't know globally like I just know from the things that I see or whatever and like the UK is the second highest downloaded region from where my downloads come from. So That's U- cool. U- well, uh UK listeners, appreciate you guys. And I am Sorry for what I did in the Princess Louise pub bathroom. Uh, I was not used to the mashed beans. <laughs> well, you want to plug your podcast one more time? Let everyone know where oh. they can find you guys. 
Oh, yeah, totally. So we are Underworld News tonight. We are probably everywhere you get your podcast. You know, some people get their podcasts from, like, weird fucking places. Uh, so we're not on, like, uh, Baby Bjorn or whatever the fuck. Uh, but we're most normal places that you get your podcast. You can look us up, Underworld News Tonight. Uh, we are also on Facebook and Instagram as Underworld News Tonight. Uh, yeah, we just do a fun look at the weird, wacky, wild, supernatural news of the week. Uh, it's a ton of fun. Listen in. We would love to have you. Uh, and keep listening to Tinfoil Tales, too. It's a great fucking show with a great fucking host. Appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I think we can wrap this one up. Again, I want to say thanks. Been fun. I like to have yeah. uh, some change of pace. Like I said, most of the interviews I have, it's personal experiences or it's people that's like been doing some studies and deep dives into things. So it's good to have some uh, lighthearted ones. I had one recently that a uh, different tone joking around banter so it's, it's nice to lighten it up every now and then well that is me i am just a everyone i know will say all the time you're a ray of sunshine in my day you're so happy you're so positive you're so bright consistently all the time uh and the secret is uh if i stop talking there's a deep abyss inside of me that i just feel will swallow me entirely i think that's everybody <laughs> well good I think we're good for this one, so we're going to roll on out. So, again, thanks to Andrew, and thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Remember, the truth lies in the stories we share, the connections we make. Stay curious, stay open-minded. Thank you all for joining us on this journey, and until next time, keep questioning, keep seeking, and keep exploring the unknown. Good night, everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.